for recording time? Oh, yeah. Recording is in progress. You're joining this program already in progress. Brought to us by viewers like you. Mm-hmm. Mostly it's brought to us by our own mental, you know, issues, desires, whatever you want to call Goblins. them. Goblins. Yeah. Yeah. But also Michael. by you. My <laughs> but also by you, listeners, you too. Ring it. Thank you. Michael. Yes. Michael Joseph Sokolovsky. Yes. Social security number. <laughs> uh, hi, how are you? I'm fine. Um, can you hear that? Yes, I clomping can. Clomping in the background. That is Skeeter clomping on a half uninflated air mattress. Just going clomp. Just clomp. as every dog dreams of doing, I think. I think it is kind of every dog's dream. It's very fun because it kind of, it's a little unpredictable what's going to happen with every step, you know? Right. But then at the end of it, it still turns into a really nice place for the dog to lay down. Yeah, exactly. I'm good. Uh, garden is good. I watered the garden today. What have you planted? Are you growing tomatoes? Well, you got to ask Grunge Girl. She knows all the details, but tomatoes... You just show up in water. Our tomatoes might have gotten a little fucked because of like the weird rain weather stuff. Mm, I see. I think we might have started them out a little early, but we, we have some more seedlings we're going to put in. But tomatoes, cucumbers... We got corn. Mm. We got squash. Homegrown cucumbers are one of my favorite. One of the vegetables I feel like benefits most from coming out of the garden. Yeah, I love a good homegrown cuke, especially the ones that have like the little spiky. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of right. a little dangerous to bite into it. That spikiness is where the, the rabbinic Hebrew word for um, cucumbers comes from. Kishuin, it's like talking about their spikiness because I think the the domesticated variety of cucumber at that time was even more spiky than the version we have now. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. That's so the cool. spikes are are essential to the cucurbicity. I could see that as like a food fad, like in twenty twenty four, twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four, just like weird cucumber varieties it's the cool new thing oh see i was imagining like people create like a cucumber variety with that has a lot of spikes and then we just like dry and powder the spikes and it becomes like a superfood powder that you're supposed to put in your smoothie oh, oh yeah. yeah i've been using cucumber spike powder kishuin powder it's just like transformed my morning routine i love it yeah we should we should get into that market in general <laughs> yeah we should genetically engineer a new variety of cucumber speaking of genetically engineering farm goods mm-hmm. so grunge girl really likes dill and dill is is an annual right right although it likes to volunteer um what does it like to volunteer for <laughs> <laughs> volunteering is when a plant that's an annual goes to seed and then comes up naturally the next year uh, okay, yeah. Well, anyway, I was reading into these people using CRISPR to mess with the flowering right. cycle of plants, mm -hmm. and they basically uh, were able to create some plants that are annuals normally, but started behaving like perennials and growing woody stems and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Checks out. So you can grow a dill tree. I, that's, yes, that is what I want. I mean... Look, I don't know. I don't have a cat in the horse about the whole like genetically engineered thing. <laughs> uh -huh. I don't really, you know. The cat's out of the bag and it's in, in the, the race, horse. but yeah. it's not mine. Yep. But uh, so no cats, no horses. They're not nested. No within. gods, no masters. But 
I think it would be really cool if there was a woody perennial dill bush or a dill mm-hmm. tree. I reached out to my biochemistry friend about this like years ago. <laughs> hey, man, can you crisp it up really quick? Can you just like cook me up a dill tree? That's basically what I said. He was like, look, maybe. But Don't it ever would... ask me this question again. He said it's possible, not just like in a, it's theoretically possible, like in a, maybe if a PhD student wanted to do this, like over four or right. five years, they could like figure it out and get it down. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have like an un-FDA approved weird plant <laughs> that right. is like dill. Right. An Audrey 2 situation. But I do love the fact that, you know, the right skill set with the right amount of time and dedication, you, it is possible to have a dill tree. Right. Any one of us could become a successful biochemical engineer and create our own trees. That's the dream. That's the dream. I went into the wrong field. I wish I could like bioengineer trees and make yeah, all sorts of trees. You could make trees. like a robot tree or something. I don't know. Oh, it's so lame. I want a flesh and blood tree. I, there are a lot of really cool things that happen with trees in Doctor Who, but there's one episode where the ship's life support system is like run by trees that are hybrids of regular trees and like cyborgs so they're both like the circuitry and the atmosphere generators of the ship so this whole ship this big ass ship just has like a forest in the middle of it that's basically the brain of the ship so it's like the plant version of the borg collective yeah but they're not assimilating anything they're just running the ship okay that's good at least yeah they keep to themselves it's great I'm just saying that they're robot trees and they're fucking cool as hell. But like, I mean, besides all that, I'm fine, I think. I mean, <laughs> uh, what, it's springtime, it's right. great. My fucking thermometer says 80 degrees right now. Oh, that's wild. Oh, I'm so hungry. I should have eaten lunch. Oh, well. How are you, Hava? Oh, yawning. Um, Baruchem, I'm good. Um, as I was telling you a moment ago, the sequel to The Legend of Zelda The Breath of the Wild is coming out tonight. As we record this at midnight, it will release. Breath of the Wild was a video game that came out in 2017 that essentially redefined what would be happening with video games for like the next almost a decade. There are all the signs that its sequel is going to live up to that and more. So I have been spending my day running around doing all of the housework and administrative work and everything that I've been putting off so that when I go full goblin mode and stay up all night playing this game, I will know that my shit has been taken care of in advance. Mm, Okay, cool. Cool. Which has the side effect of just like it's motivated me to do some stuff I've been meaning to take care of anyway. So like ultimately it really works out. That's good. I haven't looked at Zelda since Super Nintendo days. I don't know what's Those going on. Those are the days. <sighs> really enjoying walking around in the spring weather with the dog and like having a nice outside to be in that's not just like a frozen wasteland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spring and fall are definitely like the best seasons of New England IMHO. So that's cool as hell. Last night was Shalmala's class, which was taught by someone who we haven't had on the show yet, surprisingly, but Lexi Kohansky, who is an incredible teacher and was teaching her tefillah, her prayer that she wrote for trans hair removal which one, it was just really incredible. She or she did a really great job. And two, it was like the prayer was composed of like really elaborate and really weird 
Zohar references, um, which I am like, mm. uh, as you and I have discussed, I'm like very uneducated in the Zohar. So it's very like mysterious to me what's in there. And there was all this stuff about like how this one version of God has like a beard, but it's not like a beard made out of hair. It's a spiritual beard and the dew flows from God's brain, which contains 10 billion worlds. The brain dew flows down the beard to drip into the world. Oh, I don't know about, ooh. You know, <laughs> shit know. like that. I don't know. No. I'm very Zohar suspicious. Zohar phobic. You can say it. You can be Maybe honest. that's not fair because just because I don't understand something. Who told you this podcast was going to be fair? Yeah, that's not true. Not me. That's true. I just don't understand it and therefore I must be suspicious of it. Right. You know? Right. That's the rule. You fear what you don't understand. There you go. Yeah. So that was just like really fun getting taught Zohar stuff by someone who understands it and who's also a really great teacher was like a really big treat, treatful part of my evening. And now I'm here ready to bring a tiny nugget for this tiny episode. For those of you who don't already know, we currently mostly make tiny episodes because in the background, we're working on a huge project. That is a multi-episode series about the Temple OS operating system. So while we're working on that, we just do these little weekly episodes so that we can use our pod energy doing all the recording and editing that that takes behind the scenes. If you want to hear about it, we have patron-only episodes on our Patreon where you can hear the behind-the-scenes happenings. Anyway, here is our sugya for today. Okay, great. We're on Brachot 5b. In the middle of this sugya, that's all about a bunch of different people getting sick and their perspectives on illness and suffering. We may have even done a sugya from this section before. It's like, this rabbi got sick, and here's what their rabbi said to them. And then their rabbi got sick, and that's what they said to them. And then that person's brother got sick, and this is what they said to them. It's just like a long chain of that kind of stuff. And so it starts out that Rabbi Elazar, who was one of Rabbi Yochanan's students, fell ill. So Rabbi Yochanan came to visit him and saw that he was lying in a dark room. So Rabbi Yochanan exposed his arm and light radiated from his flesh, filling the house. What? Okay, wait, 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 wait. Uh, yeah. wait, wait. So Rabbi Yochanan extended his arm to Rabbi Eliezer. Elazar. Uh, Elazar, sorry. And Yochanan's arm was the one that had the light coming from it, not Yes, okay. I think it seems to be the opinion of most commentators on this passage that the deal is just like that Rebbe Yochanan is so beautiful right, that just right, okay. light is just like blazing out all the time, a thousand suns. Same half silver cup in the shade. Um, exactly, yeah, okay, exactly. I really liked this beginning because there's a sugya that we've covered on this show before that talks about a ritual to be able to observe Rabbi Yochanan's beauty, where you take a silver goblet fresh from the smithy, fill it with pomegranate seeds, yep. bedeck its lips with rose petals, and then mm -hmm. place it in the half sun and half shade. And the gleam of that goblet is a hint of the beauty of Rabbi Yochanan. And so that whole gleaming, I was like, oh, I thought that was just like a cool thing you know i just thought that was like very fabulous way to say it but now i kind of feel like maybe rabbi yochanan's beauty is literally its most notable quality is that rabbi yochanan is like emitting an aura a glow of beauty at all times and mm. so the gleam off the goblet isn't like oh this is a different beautiful thing 
that's like Rebbe Yochran, but it's actually literally like this gleam of light is like the gleam of light that Rebbe Yochanan emits because of their radioactive beauty. Ah, okay, okay. So that in itself, already cool for a sugya that's been very uh, show-defining and life-defining for our show and for me. Cool to have a reason to reconsider that. But then we go on. So Rebbe Yochanan saw that Rebbe Elazar was crying, and he said to him, why are you crying? Thinking that he may have been crying over the suffering he endured throughout his life, he said, if you are weeping because you did not study as much Torah as you would have liked, we learned one who brings a substantial sacrifice and one who brings meager sacrifice have equal merit as long as he directs his heart towards heaven. Wow. There's still more, but pause to talk about this, that that's just very sweet, very sweet way to be comforted. I think I would receive these words with comfort, you know, oh, yeah. if someone was like, don't worry, like, spiritually, it's all fine. It's just the intention of your heart that matters. I think this is a good point. You don't need to go hard in order to, like, be good, really, is at the end of the day. Yeah, or there's, like, some essence that is shared between all goodness. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, like, counts. They're the same on, like, some spiritual level. Because, like, if one person brings two bowls and you bring one bowl, obviously those things are different. And a different amount of people can eat the amount of meat that that will provide. But spiritually, it seems like those things are, like, on some level, fundamentally the same. Yeah, yeah Which I yeah. guess is, now that I'm thinking about it, makes a good case for why... The rabbis are always telling us that we shouldn't be doing mitzvahs because we're hoping for a reward, because it may turn out that we should have just trusted that it was all equal and like done our best without sort of being hungry for the reward, because at the end of the day, it all sort of gets balanced out on the spreadsheet of heaven. My question is probably beyond the scope of this episode is what is the reason why we should be doing the mitzvahs. Yeah, I mean, the Talmud has a thousand different answers for that. You know, sometimes the Talmud is very uh, punishment-reward oriented. It's like, you do this mitzvah, you know, you'll be rewarded with having lots of beautiful children, and if you don't do it, then you'll die. And sometimes the Talmud is like, don't even think of earthly things. Just do a mitzvah for its own sake. Mitzvahs are a tautology, you do a mitzvah for a mitzvah because it leads to another mitzvah. So I think that's a hard question to answer because I think the Talmud doesn't offer us a conclusive answer. Okay, well... I think that's one of the you-figure-it-out ones of the Talmud. Yeah, so many things, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, they kicked the can on that one. Okay, Rabbi Yochanan continues. If you are weeping because you lack sustenance and are unable to earn a livelihood, this is true because Rebbe Lazar was poor. Not every person merits two tables, aka one of wealth and one of Torah. So don't worry about not being wealthy, because that just means you're eating from the table of Torah, basically. Again, punishment, reward, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Basically very relevant to everything we just said. If you're crying over children who have died, this is the bone of my 10th son. And suffering of that kind afflicts great people, and they are afflictions of love. That's what this whole sugya has been about. Rabbi Yochanan is just like showing the bone of his 10th son to everyone to be like, suffering is a sign of God's love, and yada yada. There's a whole theology of suffering in this 
text that is very worth interrogating. Right. And Maimonides Nuts brought this. Yeah. I knew we did something from this sukya before, but I couldn't remember what episode. So if you go back to the Maimonides Nuts episode, which is somewhere in the, I think it's before episode 100. So go back to the before times and listen to that. It has something about finger bone in the title. So Rabbi Yochanan was really obsessed with doing this magic trick for people of being like, want to see the finger bone of my dead son and hear my theology of suffering? Creepy. Yeah. Also, you know, a lot to be concerned about if you believe that suffering is a sign of God's love. That feels like not the healthiest relationship to have with God. Now I'm getting like a very Dorian Gray kind of vibe from Rabbi Yochanan. Very beautiful, but kind of creepy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Rabbi Yochanan, as much as they are a trans-feminine icon and character and person of the Talmud who is so important to me, they have some real mixed bags of moments, you know. Unlike most trans women, she's not perfect. Yeah, that's right. So Rabbi Yochanan has offered all of these reasons to say, basically, to Rabbi Elazar, like, if you're worried about this, don't worry. If you're worried about this, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Like, stop crying. You have Torah. If you're suffering, it's a sign of love from God. So, like, calm down. And here's how this sugya ends, and this is what made me bring this text to the show for this little mini-sode. Rabbi Elazar said to Rabbi Yochanan, I'm not crying over my own misfortune, but rather over this beauty of yours that will decompose in the earth, as Rabbi Yochanan's beauty caused him to consider human mortality. And Rabbi Yochanan said to him, over this, it is certainly appropriate to weep. And they both cried. Whoa. Whoa. Wait, wait. Give me that phrasing again. Is he crying the idea that Yochanan will one day die or the idea that Yochanan will one day not be as beautiful as he is right now? Specifically that that Rebbe Yochanan's beauty will one day decompose in the earth. Oh. And the wow. I, I've been reading from the Savaria translation here because it had some really spicy <laughs> phrasing that I really enjoyed. And their little additional context they add after the phrase both cried, both cried over the fleeting nature of beauty in the world and death that eventually overcomes all, which I thought was quality. I mean, yeah, but also it looks like they're just crying over Yohanan's beauty. I know. Elazar is like, doesn't have a cat in the race. So I just thought it was just like very iconic that they were like, If you're crying over suffering, like dead children, poverty, you know, any of that stuff, like, don't cry. It's fine. But if you're crying over the fact that my beauty will not be available to you at some point, yeah, let's cry it out. I think this must be a joke passage. This must be comedy in in the Talmud. You know what I mean? I don't know. No, I I think it is. I think it is. I don't know. It feels like love poetry. Like, it, it feels very, I'm thinking of like the Spanish gay love poems from the medieval era where fucking gay Jews were like, oh yeah, like my lover is so beautiful, but like he ignores me at the court of the king so I'll just have to die. But we're not talking about Reish Lakish right now, you know? I know, but Rabbi Yochanan's beauty exists independent of Reish Lakish. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Everyone knew that Rabbi Yochanan was beautiful. As she said in the beginning of that sugya, I 
am the last remaining one of the beautiful ones of Jerusalem. It was known. So you think this is like love poetry? It strikes me as love poetry. I don't know. It could be comedy. I guess the vibe I was taking from it was, you know, we have all of these theologies and apologetics about suffering and poverty, but at the end of the day, even the most transcendent beauty is ephemeral, and all of our prevaricating can't undo that fact. And while it says it in a, in kind of a silly way, and I've presented it in kind of a silly way, that does feel like kind of a, a fun possible read that the Talmud is taking a moment to almost be vulnerable and say, like, there is some some irreducible quality of mortality that we can't explain away that, like, sometimes you do just have to cry over. I mean, that I agree with. I know. <laughs> I don't know if the Talmud is saying it, but I agree with that. I mean, life is tragic. Right. It seems to be tragic by design. Um, deal with it, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> cry about it is what the Talmud has to say. Cry about it and then go and dance, you know? Right. I mean, I'm open to the possibility that it's comedy, and I think that's a cute read as well, especially because this is like in the middle of a long list of Rabbi Yochanan showing the finger bone of his 10th son to various people. It reminds me also of when Rebecca was on the show talking about that list of like, that like, um... Oh, yeah, of the the times where someone is learning from their teacher. Right, it, right. It starts off with, we go and learn how they poop, we go and learn how they tie their shoes, and then it sort of ends with the story of the guy hiding under the bed. Right, right. And it's like, okay, this is... This is like a joke. Right. This is like the sort of farcical ending of the whole tale. Like you could, but in my opinion, you shouldn't take from that, that, you know, whatever, we're right. down with voyeurism generally. I mean, I don't think our readings have to be contradictory. Like all great comedy contains like that element of like, if you think about it, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And this uh, could be one of those moments where it's like, oh, that's so funny that this is how it all ended. But like, also, if you think about it, like it act actually the transience of beauty is fucked up. Or like more simply, like actually, even if this is a joke, but actually, if you do think about it, Rabbi Yochanan is like real hot, you know? <laughs> right. We all can agree on one thing. On of, of course, no one would actually cry over his beauty. Right. And do this. But that would be gay. But this is real funny because we are horny for right. Rabbi Yochanan. Right, true. I mean, that, true. I feel like that's the kernel of... I imagine Rabbi Yochanan is like the Jessica Rabbit of the yeshiva. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> Just like Rabbi Yochanan walks into the room where Rabbi Elazar is sick and like a saxophone riff starts playing as mm, he like mm -hmm. delicately lifts up his sleeve, takes off like a arm length velvet glove to reveal his glowing skin. I love it. Love it. Someone out there animate it. Yeah. And someone out there, like, <sighs> make a dill tree also. And, uh, we, we need a dill tree and we need Jessica Rabbit, Rebbe Yochanan, stat. Anyway, that's all I had to bring today. I just thought as soon as I saw this, I was like, what a treat. <laughs> what a fucking treat. So I hoped you liked it. Well, I liked it. Hope you liked it too, listeners. That's usually indicative that our listeners will like it. If I've managed to entertain you, I usually manage to entertain them. Yeah, I'm entertained. I'm entertained. That's why I keep you around, actually. You're just kind of a canary in the coal mine, entertainment-wise. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad I have I serve some function. Yeah. My existential crisis is now over. Thank you very much. <laughs> Great. Crisis resolved. Mortality dealt with. Dealt with, yep. Anyway... 
Thanks, listeners, for doing what you do best, which is listening and supporting the show. We will keep working on our big project behind the scenes and keep bringing you these delicious morsels of silliness, which contain a kernel of truth. And we'll talk to you soon. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.